Good morning. It's so good to be with you this morning. Let's pray with the psalmist as we um, think about God's word together. Send forth your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Amen. I want to greet the children and the youth who are here today or are watching from home. You already know that God's story is for you. You probably don't need me to tell you that, but when we're all gathered together, it's a good thing for us to say. So God's story is for you too. And I wonder when you heard Jesus say, I'm going away to prepare a home for you, a place where we can be together one day, I wonder how you imagined that home. You have a special piece of paper, I think, and some markers or some crayons, and um, maybe while we're thinking about God's Word together, you could be using your imaginations to draw what you think that place might look like. What does the place that God dwells look like? God is everywhere, and God lives somewhere. That's kind of fun to think about. So bless you in your holy imaginations. And big people, we are not just keeping them busy during the sermon. Uh, without the presence of children in our midst with their holy imaginations and their ability to be God-connected, which is different from being God-smart, uh, the church dies. So we bless them in our midst and we include them in our contemplation about God's Word. All right, so what is our story today? Well, 2021 AD, all the way back to 520 BC, is not too hard to figure. If the kids weren't already drawing, I'd have them do the math. But 2,541 years is a long time. But we can be certain that that is the span. 520 was the second year of the reign of King Darius, king of Persia who we know from other places ruled from 522 to 486 BC. And we can get even more precise than that thanks to Haggai's details. Haggai brought the first of his messages on the first day of the sixth month called Elul, which corresponds to August 29th for us. So, coming up. Does an obscure prophet whose prophecies span less than four months and whose tiny book only two chapters long, it's tucked away at the end of the Old Testament in between Zephaniah and Zechariah. Have anything to say to us in 2021, those 2,541 years later? Well, to answer that question, well, we need to go back and put our feet on the dusty ground around Jerusalem and stand among discouraged, depressed even, maybe, Israelites trying to rebuild their lives again after the disorienting experience of being in exile in Babylon without their place of worship, which was the center of their whole lives. They'd been carted off to Babylon, the temple completely destroyed, all its treasures taken, and the blow to their identity probably can't be overstated. So most in that group, on the first day of the second month, of the second year of King Darius had probably never seen the temple in all its glory because by this point it had been in ruins for going on 70 years. So we would see a foundation of the temple, the beginnings of an attempt to rebuild 16 years earlier, but opposition from people living in the land had stopped the rebuilding. 
And Haggai's book is set right in the context of the book of Ezra. So um, those first six chapters are the place to read more about those uh, years right before our story today. The returning Israelites had come with a mandate from Cyrus, the previous Persian king, to rebuild the temple, and he'd even given back all the treasures that Nebuchadnezzar had helped himself to when it was destroyed in 587. And so if we looked around, we would see people who apparently had lost the will to complete the work and had focused instead on rebuilding houses for themselves. And in our story today, there are just five characters. There are a lot of people, but five characters, I would say. God, of course, Haggai, his messenger, political leader, uh, Zerubbabel, Joshua, the religious leader, and all the people of the land. There is a moment in chapter 2 where the priests get called out for a question and Zerubbabel gets his own message at the end of the book, but those are the exceptions. The word of the Lord comes to all you people of the land, making the community of faith like one character. So the word of the Lord comes by the hand of the prophet Haggai to this discouraged bunch who, as much as we might understand why, have their priorities wrong. And who says so? Is it an impatient, frustrated God who comes to scold them? No, it's a good, good father who sees the critical nature of the moment they're in because he knows where they are in the story. A good father who knows that what they most need is to make the restoration of his house the priority for his pleasure and for his glory and for their flourishing. And God is pursuing a plan, and at that moment, rhythms and routines had been disrupted, and new ones will be established either by default or without reflection or by the tyranny of the urgent or with intention and with attention to the story that they're part of. So God comes as a wise father bringing truth in love and support. It's a message of encouragement. And this good, good father's way with his children shows the priority of the relationship I'm not trying to force our story today into a Father's Day message. It just is what it is. Let's take a look at how God the Father speaks to his children. First, he describes where they are. My daughter, Laura, shared a fantastic little book with me a couple of years ago based on play therapy and adapted for parents uh, called Say What You See. And I need to actually go back and take a look and see if Haggai is listed in her bibliography. Uh, my friend Cheryl Witham is fond of saying, God only meets us in our realities. Saying what you see is a way a parent establishes a connection to a child by articulating what it is they observe. Think of all the ways the father could have approached the issue here. And he begins by saying, I see where you are. These people say the time has not come to restore the house of the Lord. And knowing even a little background, we can see, we can see how it is that they got there. It would say that. And secondly, he asks a question. Is it time for you to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? And though we know the answer, a question, again, invites participation in a relationship. And then our good, good father invites them to join him in thinking about it. 
Give careful thought to your ways. What a good word. Let me give you some help in interpreting your circumstances. You've planted much, harvested little, you eat but you don't have enough, you drink, you never have your fill, you put on clothes but you're not warm, and you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes. Now, note that these are not frivolous pursuits, are they? They're basic human needs. And note also that the people have seed to plant, they have food and they have drink and they have clothes and they're earning wages. It's a picture of futility, the emptiness and the frustration of life with misplaced priorities, the neglect of the most needful thing. Again, this good father invites them to think about it. Give careful thought to your ways. And then he gives them not only a clear instruction to be obeyed in order to set their priorities right again, but he gives them the why. Go up into the mountains and bring down the timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. And then a little farther along, God says, and I am with you. There's more to observe in the way God parents his children in the book of Haggai. But in all this, we can see a God who stoops down to connect, to ask a question, to encourage thought, to give trustworthy instruction, and the best part, assure them of his presence with them and his help. And how do the people respond? Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord. On the 24th day of the month, on the, in the sixth month, in the second year of King Darius. Now that's only about three weeks later the work began. Did you notice that the obedience of the people came first? followed by the assurance of God, yes, you're on the right track, stirring up their spirits, stirring up their spirits to do the work. What a beautiful image. I think the prophets before the exile had a very difficult job delivering very difficult messages that were largely disregarded. I wonder if the people learned something from their time of disruption, their time in exile. It was a word for the whole community. And the whole community heard it and obeyed. And the temple was rebuilt in the next five or so years. Though it was not the glorious temple that Solomon built, it was God's priority that his dwelling place be restored and worship be established again. So why did it matter back then? Why did it matter in the past? Well, you have to read through uh, to the end of Haggai for the visionary part. This moment mattered in Israel's history as the people are recovering and rebuilding their lives. The dwelling place of God matters to their shared life in the present, but it also mattered at that moment to keep the story of God's rescue of all of humanity alive to the future glory of God's dwelling, which Haggai says involves the nations and will be far greater than the former. There's some very cool stuff about Zerubbabel, which we can't talk about today, but which casts our vision out, outwards, until the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. And why does Haggai's message matter now in the present? I read an article this week in Christianity Today called 
The American church is a mess, but I'm still hopeful. It's by Tish Harrison Warren, an Anglican priest and writer, and she refers to examples of profound institutional rot, overt racism, the toleration of abuse, beyond that, a, search, um, a thirst for power and lack of courage in places in the church. And that altogether belies the message of the gospel, she says. Say what you see. Reality is the only place God meets us. I recommend the article. It's short and uh, very thoughtful. What she arrives at essentially is to say, I am hopeful because I believe in the Holy Spirit. And here's what the Lord says exactly in Haggai. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. There is reason to be discouraged as, and as we emerge for, from our own exile of the past year. It's an easy time for those who are disillusioned with hypocrisy and now disconnected after the last year to remain at arm's length or even walk away from building up a dwelling for the Lord. It's an easy time even if we're delighted to be regathering, to arrive at rhythms and routines that allow for us putting up the paneling in our own houses and leaving the thing most needing attention in disrepair. It's not about busy. It's about priorities. It is a moment of opportunity for the church right now to be part of building and restoration, being faithful to our part, a faithful presence in the spheres that we are in to believe in the bigger story. Don't you know, says Paul, that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? And then to the Ephesians, and in him too, you're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. And why does that future vision of the church matter? Well, without vision, the people perish. Should is a word we should keep in our vocabulary, I think, but should as a motivator is, well, not very motivating. Maybe our first work of helping to build a dwelling for the Lord in our day is, in the present, is to refresh that vision of the future glory of God's house, to be inspired by the vastness of God's love for those who are yet to be brought into that dwelling, to be moved by the love of God for a suffering, disenchanted, grieving, wayward humanity, earning wages that go into a bag with holes. And to do that, we need to climb up the story layers from 520 BC or from 2021 AD, wherever you are, high enough to be able to see back to the seventh day of creation when God, who created everything out of nothing, dwelt in the cathedral, which was His glorious creation. It's where He wanted to be dwelling with His people, with us. And from there in Genesis, all the way over to Revelation. We know what happens in between, and we know that what happens in between matters for that future vision. That's what we get to be part of. It's huge. Over here in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. In Revelation, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. The darkness he called light. The darkness he called night. In Revelation, there shall be no night there. 
In the day you eat of it, you shall surely die, Genesis 2.17. Over in Revelation, there shall be no more death and no sorrow. The evil one appears as a liar and a deceiver. Evil disappears forever. God dwelling with humans is interrupted, Genesis 3. God dwelling with humans fully restored, Genesis 21, or Revelation 21. The initial triumph of the serpent, Genesis 3. The ultimate triumph of the lamb, Revelation 20. Multiplication of sorrow and pain, and there shall be no more pain. Access to the tree of life, disinherited to Adam and Eve, Genesis 3. Access to the tree of life, reinstated in Christ. They were driven from God's presence. They shall see his face. Wherever you are this morning, that's where God meets you. Not where you'd like to be, not where we pretend to be. Perhaps you can hear a question from him. Is he asking you to consider your ways at this moment, at this post-pandemic moment? To think about your priorities? It's an opportunity to take stock. So we do need to refresh that vision. That is the vision that we affirm as Christians. It's the reality that God meets us in. And inspired by it, we can set an intention to live there and to participate in restoring the place where God dwells now by His Spirit, the church. But we also need a means. And that's where we have to climb down from that high vantage point, but keep eternity in our hearts, I think. And with our feet on the ground in 2021, go on up to the mountain and get our timber. It was a word to a community, not, um, okay, all you construction workers and you contract people with trucks, go on up to the mountain. No, it was to all the people of the land. What is your timber? Ask the Lord about it. Go on up to the mountain. Take time alone with, with others or, or, or alone or with others and ask. It might be praying, or joining a service team, or making a straight path and nurturing the faith of children in your home or in the church, or being a faithful presence in your workplace or your neighborhood, or giving, or encouraging someone else in ministry, or the possibilities are endless. So many of you, maybe most of you, are bringing down the timber. And I was thinking, what a great thing an encouraging thing for your hard-working pastors, Rick and Molly, who are on holiday. If when they came back from holiday, there was some new timber or some, just a big pile of timber on their desk. So um, I made these little cards. They have timber on them. And a verse says, and you two are being built together to become a place where God dwells, where, where God dwells, where he lives by his spirit. The ushers will have those on your way out. And I just encourage you, if that would be meaningful for you, to take one home to remind you, to ask God, to consider your ways and ask, how am I helping to build up the dwelling for the Lord? And if it's something you're already doing, maybe you just want to write, you already know what I'm doing, just want you to know I'm in. Or write a word of encouragement or something, but you'll, those will be available at the end. Restoration, what a fantastic name for a church. And God, in his wisdom, has given you 
a building. What does that mean? It means that you are freed up for a different purpose, a different kind of building. Surely it means that. What a name for a church for such a time as this. The church in America needs restoration and needs restoration Anglican. The Twin Cities need restoration. So here again, the words spoken through the prophet Haggai for you this morning. I am with you, declares the Lord. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. Be strong, all you people of the land, work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Amen.